Good morning, everyone. My pleasure to read scripture this morning, and then we'll have a prayer following that. Our text this morning is taken from Luke, the 13th chapter. Luke, chapter 13. And we're going to read verses 23 through 30. Starting in verse 23 of Luke 13. And someone said to him, Lord, are there only a few who are saved? And he said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow gate, because many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. When once the master of the house has gotten up and shut the door, you begin to stand outside, knock on the door, saying, Lord, open the door for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, saying to you, I do not know where you are from. Go away from me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves thrown outside. And they will come from the east and west and from the north and south. And will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first. And some are first who will be last. Let's bow and pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we just, uh, our appreciation, Father, for who you are, for what you have done, for the things that you have caused to be in our lives, for what you do for us in our lives and what you do that encourages us in our lives. Father, we witness through scripture the great power you have over the elements and over, over principalities and kingdoms. And we pray, Father, for that same authority in our lives that we might bow to it, that we might live under it, and we might learn to love it uh, as we should. Encourage us in doing those things. Father, you've given us in your word an understanding of what heaven is. And Father, we who seek you, who know you, who live for you, look so much forward to that day when you will come and call us home that we might be able to look upon your face and, and hear you say, well done. But Father, you've also warned us of what hell is and what it's like. And so, Father, we, we want to be sober in our service to you. We want to recognize, Father, that uh, your promises are true and that they hold, whether it be us going to heaven or being bound to hell. And so, Father, we want to live our lives in such a way that we might reach into heaven and we ask your help in these things. Father, we want to know who you are. We want to know Jesus, your son. We want to know what service we can perform for you. Father, we want to be assured that you know us in the way we wish to know you, that we might be one as you and God are one. We ask, Father, that you will help us to be consistent in our walk, that we'll be passionate about relationships between you and us, and, and with the church. That we might be complete in our knowledge of you. And Father, that we might be willing to serve as your spirit speaks through us, that we might be active and alive in our pursuit, in our Christianity. Father, you've given us a new president this last month. 
And there are a lot of concerns and a lot of issues that uh, we tend to dwell upon. But my prayer this morning, Father, is, and I hope it's our prayer, that you will open the understanding of this president to the great needs of this country, of its people, in all walks, in all paths, in all, all types. And that you will turn his heart, that he might seek you as his counselor. That if he's not doing so, he'll learn to pray and, and understand what your will for this country is. We pray, Father, that you'll keep him humble that you'll work with him, that we may be led away from wars, from extreme changes that upset the country, and especially, Father, from the open sin that this country has so prevalent. Our prayer is, Father, that we will support this president and the Congress and such that we might help them to enact righteous laws and to encourage them, Father, to live righteous lives. We thank you for the greatness of this country and what it's mean through the ages. And we pray, Father, that this same encouragement might be passed on to our children and our grandchildren throughout the ages to come. But underlying this, Father, we pray for the growth of your kingdom, that it might uh, envelop the halls of all those who walk in authority, that we might, Father, seek to encourage them to live righteously. We pray, Father, for those who live on the edge, who struggle with life each day, that we might be a blessing to them, and that we might be a friend to them to help them out of their, their, their problems and their difficulties. Help us to be a people, Father, who not only walk uprightly, but seek others to serve. I pray these and many more things that uh, this congregation would be blessed as they have been, that they will continue to be shadowed in the light of your word, and that they may grow into a church that can serve this community as they serve the kingdom. Thank you for all you do, and thank you, Father, for all you're about to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning, everyone. It is good to be here today. And it was a pretty good weekend, too. And now it's snowing. Hang on, I'm getting better? Thank you. My third base coach over there was telling me about my caller, so thank you, sweetie. Anyway, let me just look at you. Well, maybe not look at all of you. Skip over a couple of you. Very good to see you this morning. Um, I feel very blessed today um, because God is good. Amen? God is, is really good. And, you know, it's it always amazes me how much um, the Holy Spirit is at work in my life and it, at work in the life of this church. And, you know, today again, and this seems to happen a lot, what Fred was reading fits so well into what I'm going to say. And we didn't plan that. I don't talk to Fred ever. I'm just kidding. Fred and I weren't talking, but I think it's, God cares about this church, and we pray for him to work in this church, and he works among us in all of our lives and in our lives together, and that's an awesome thing, and I'm, I'm grateful, God, that you are here with us right now, and as always, I appreciate the prayers 
and I pray that my words are words that we all need to hear. Uh, today I want to talk to you about the narrow path, because that's kind of a highfalutin concept, isn't it? The narrow path. Well, what does that mean? That sounds like some kind of hippie thing to me, to be honest. Um, hang on, I'm having a little bit of a... I wasn't the way I expected that to look. Let me try that. There we go. Um, we read from Luke chapter 13, and let's look at that again. And I've definitely, I used to teach PowerPoint, um, among other things I taught, and I definitely broke the rule on how many words you can have on a slide, but I don't care. So this, the reason I'm reading this is because the significance of the narrow path and the narrow gate is the eternal significance. And it, it's kind of like Fred was talking about this morning. You know, most of the time, sheep is an insult. You guys are just a bunch of sheep. Well, actually, uh, my son, for whatever reason, thinks sheep are really cool. I don't know what that's about. He has problems, just like we all do. But sheep is not a bad thing. Um, because sheep are, if they have a good shepherd, are taken care of. And so we talk about the narrow gate and the narrow path. The significance of what Jesus is saying about the narrow gate and the narrow path couldn't be greater. It's of eternal significance, and there's nothing more important than that. The fact that we need to follow the path of the shepherd through the gate. And um, here in Luke chapter 13, he talks about, they're asking him, how many people are going to be saved? And Jesus is saying, it's not a matter of how many people can be saved. It's a matter of how many people are going to choose salvation. Well, why wouldn't I choose salvation? People don't. There have been a lot of experiments where, and this may have even happened to you. I confess it's happened to me before where you show up somewhere and there's a big line of people and you're trying to get to the thing that's past that line of people and you just step to the back of the line of the people. And it turns out they're just waiting for something else and the thing that you want to get to is actually open. Has that ever happened to you? Like you're at a store and you're sitting there and you're standing in line. And matter of fact, this happens most often in coffee shops where people are waiting for their coffee and I'm standing there in line and then somebody just kind of looks at me like, what are you standing here for? And I realize, oh, I can just move forward. People will follow the crowd just because it's the crowd. We don't like being the weird one. We don't like people to look at us and say, you know what, you're strange. I'm used to it personally, but even I don't like it for people to say, you know, what you're doing, I want everyone to like me. I want to be part of the crowd. And that urge in us as humans 
is so much bigger than you think it is. Your urge to be liked and to be part of the in crowd. You think you got out of that after you left high school? You did not. That is the way we're built. And a lot of the the turmoil and rock throwing going on right now is because people want to be of either in this group or that group. The thing of it is, we don't need to be following other sheep. We need to be following the shepherd. And we especially don't need to be following the wolves, even if they have gotten the sheep to come after them. So Jesus is saying there are going to be a lot of people on the day of judgment who thought they were sheep and they thought Jesus was their shepherd. And he's going to say, I have no idea who you are. Because the sheep listen to the voice of the shepherd. And that's as easy as it gets right there. Listen to the voice of the shepherd. If you're listening to any other voice, you are doomed in this life and in the next. I hate to think that other people, because I know they will, that other people will go through the unnecessary pain that I've been through in my life, and yet, I know they will. And I shudder to think that my children should have to go through some of the things I've been through. And I, have, and I know people who have been through far worse. Sometimes just the life circumstances, but oftentimes it's because they're listening to a, a voice or a noise other than the shepherd. A lot of times we think we're doing the right thing. I feel like I'm doing the right thing. Okay, but ask yourself... Are you listening to the shepherd? And the sheep don't go, wait a minute, are you sure you want to go left there, buddy? I don't think there's any good grazing over to the left. Have you not tried right? I heard a guy say, actually, to the right and then around back is the best grazing. Sheep don't do that. When the shepherd calls to them, they just follow. Their life is simple. They just If you ever look the sheep in the eye, they are, they are not really there hardly, are they? They're just doing that. They don't have to be anything else. They can, they can just chill out. Well, I don't want to be stupid. Well, you know, some of us can't help it. But if you're going to be stupid, you can at least be safe and at peace. And a sheep who follows the shepherd is at peace. And there may be nothing going on behind those eyes. But they're safe, they're happy, and they're well taken care of. The smart sheep can say, well, you know what, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to just listen to someone because who appointed you shepherd? I didn't ask to be part of this fold. And sheep can do that. And I've done that a lot in my life too. How do you know you're not being lied to? And so we get back to the first lie Satan ever said, which is, is that really what God said? And then the second lie is, is what God asked you to do really in your best interest or is he trying to control you? The answer is actually both. It is in my best interest and he's trying to control me insofar as keeping me safe. 
But if he wanted to control me, he could actually control me. God chooses to let us choose. And we often choose poorly. I want to keep talking about this path. What is the significance of the path? What, what is Jesus getting at? And there is more. And the if you think about the people Jesus was talking to, this can actually make a little more sense. Is a lot of people... Um, we traveled to Fort Wayne yesterday, and that was, that was pretty easy. I sat down and did this for about an hour, and then boom, we were there. And then when we were ready to come home, I sat down again, did this for about an hour, boom, we're back home. It hasn't been that way through most of history. Most of history, if you want to travel somewhere, you got to hoof it. Most people didn't have horse and buggy. Most people had feet and they would move from one place to another. I used to do, and don't laugh when I say this, because it's true, I used to do a lot of hiking in my life, especially when I was younger. I really liked hiking, but it is tiring, especially if you're going up and down. It's much better to have a straight road that you can walk down, and it's even better to have a flat road, because once you start going up and down, things start getting painful. Don't laugh at this either, but... I have a really sturdy bike that I ride around here. And you don't realize the hills in this city until you get on a bicycle. You're cranking up one hill, and then you end up just below the speed of sound coming down the hill the other way. And you're like, man, I put all that energy in, and you can't just let her fly because you're really going dangerously fast. And then there's an intersection. You're like, all that pedaling, I didn't even get to, to enjoy it. I had to hit the brakes. And so when you actually have to physically get yourself from point A to point B, the route you take really matters to you. I don't want to go down a winding path. I want to, I want to do as little walking as possible, and I certainly don't want to go uphill or downhill. And that's been true throughout history. And we have to think when Jesus talks about the narrow gate and the difficult path, he's talking about... Walking. I know that seems really obvious, but we don't think about that when we read it. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. There's a lot of good stuff in Matthew chapter 7. As you know, it's the Sermon on the Mount. And that's interesting because Jesus is uh, Mount on probably Mount Arabel. We don't know, um, but I got a shot of that somewhere in here. But he says... You need to enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And the ones that choose to go that way are many. Most people are going to choose to go that way. Because of the gate is narrow and the way is difficult that leads to life. And those who travel on it are few. If, you, if you've ever been to a theme park, if you were walking into the gates to uh, Disneyland or Six Flags or whatever, you're going to walk in, you're overwhelmed, there's all these people moving, it's just a big mass of people. If there were a set of stairs that said, hey you, if you come up to this door, you can have a million dollars. 
no one's going to go up to that gate because everyone's just moving through. Well, if, if I could go up and get the million dollars, wouldn't people be doing it? That's a question we ask ourselves. Honestly, and there have been a lot of experiments that, that show this kind of thing where they'll offer someone a reward if they'll just do something different than what everybody else is doing. And people don't do it. I don't want to be the crazy one that goes up the stairs. It's probably some kind of trick, and who knows what the, who that's even for. Because surely, if I could get a million dollars by just walking up that flight of steps, other people would be doing it. And so since I don't see anyone doing it, I don't want to be the fool that goes up the stairs and everybody laughs at him, and his day ends up ruined. I'm just going to do what everybody else is doing. People, that's how we think. And so, um, I, I want to, there's something I heard about recently. Um, it's from the, the British Museum. This is an ancient uh, Assyrian tablet written in Sanskrit. Um, you can look it up at the thebritishmuseum.org. And um, it's from a guy named Buzazu. If we have any kids, it seems unlikely if we have any other kids, next kid, male or female, Buzazu. You can use that name. You can say it's an ancient Assyrian name. So this guy, Buzazu, he's trying to avoid paying taxes. Because if you move things down the roads, you have to pay taxes. That's one of those things that's always been true. And he wants to avoid the taxes, so he's going to try to go off-road with his goods and so um, he's telling his partners, um, tell the guys carrying the stuff to bring the tin. He's smuggling tin. Okay, that's cool. He's smuggling tin. He said, uh, bring it by way of the narrow track if it's passable. Um, if not, then, well, <laughs> make small packets of tin and um, conceal them in your underwear. Probably shouldn't have read that last part. But, you know, it's on the clay. I didn't write it. So this is the famous path between Jerusalem and Jordan. And people did not like to travel this path because it wasn't a safe path. And so people uh, would tend to not go between Jerusalem and Jordan because not only was it not safe, but it was... Uh, a difficult path to walk. There weren't a lot of services. If you've driven through the Southwest, you know that you can go 150 miles and not have a gas station or a place to get anything to drink. And it starts to get a little frightening sometimes when you're driving out that way. And so people want to stay on the paths that are easy, where all the, serv the, uh, the services are. Another thing about these winding paths in the mountains is that they can have wild animals. You know, forget bandits on the road and forget about the fact that it's difficult and hot to walk. There, there are also dangers involved. Um, and people hearing Jesus say this, when he talks about the difficult path, they understand what he's saying. This isn't an easy walk down a Roman road. This is a, a a Roman road in Israel adjacent to Highway 375. If you look really close at the picture, you can see the guardrail on the highway in the background. 
And this is an ancient Roman road. And of course, they built the new highway next to the ancient Roman road because that's the low spot in the valley, right? When you build a road, you don't go, let me see if I can go up over a hill, then down the next hill, then up over the next hill. You're going to try to find the space in between the valleys, naturally. Because we don't like, as I mentioned, I don't like to climb and descend and climb and descend. But following the shepherd requires us, this is another path in Israel, and people knew what Jesus was talking about. Following the shepherd means going down a trail that's not particularly inviting. And part of your brain will say, well, won't I get robbed? Won't wild animals kill me? Well, the answer is no. Your shepherd is with you. If you take the same easy path everyone's taking, and then you're like, wait a minute, why am I up here on this dangerous-looking, difficult path when I see everybody else just cruising down the Roman road? Am I dumb? Are they dumb? What's going on? And when it comes to the way we live our lives, it really comes down to a question like that. I'm living my life the way Jesus wants me to, but when I look around at everybody else, no one else is doing it. I got a, a call from a friend of mine whose kid's at a Christian school, and he's having difficulty because the Christian kids he's going to school with aren't being as Christian as he expected them to be. So if you're at a Christian school and you're a freshman or a sophomore or whatever, and you see the kids at the Christian school are not doing, they're not living the way you think Christ wants you to live, and you will find people like that at Christian schools. A lot of them. You will. So which one of us is crazy? Is it me or is it them? And when your life is surrounded by people going down the wide, easy road, and you're sitting there sweating, going up the mountain, and you got to be thinking, okay, Am I stupid? Have I been tricked? Because the other thing is, I don't want to go up the hill and I'm looking for an excuse to go down the easy road with everybody else. I want to stop at the inns and have a nice meal just like everybody else. This really happens to us in our lives because there's things that Christ asks us to do that are so opposite of just basic common sense according to the people around you. When it comes to how you spend your money, how you save your money, what you do with your money, what you do with your career, the people around you are going to say, well, that's all good to have high values and all, but let's not be stupid. And you probably say that to yourself. As a therapist, you're walking a really fine line if you talk about the Bible's view of sexuality, you can lose your license. Well, don't be stupid, Steve. I mean, it's good to have high moral principles, but let's not be idiots about this. These are the things we all have to face in some way or another. 
that pressure between what God wants you to do and what everyone around you is telling, telling you makes sense. And that's true for our church as well. The, the stance we have on things, well, you can't have that stance because you're going to turn people away from God. The only stance that we have to have is the stance that comes from the Bible. Spoken with truth and with love. We have to follow the shepherd. And it's like, well, if you do that, then you're going to drive everyone away. Well, I don't want to drive everyone away. I, want, I have to understand that, that people don't know God. And if they walk in, they know nothing about God, then they might be shocked by something that I say. So I don't want to just purposely offend them and just walk over them. No. But at the same time, I have to do whatever it is God wants me to do. If it comes down to a question, I don't want to beat somebody over the head with a difficult truth. But at the same time, I'm not going to shy away from a difficult truth that comes from God. Okay, I'm going off a little bit. And this is actually uh, the hill I was talking about. That It could be where Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount. And there is a difficult path. And walking, looking at that picture, it makes me a little bit tired. Just thinking about walking up there. But here's, here's the thing that we really have to do. If Jesus hasn't said this enough, we can't just walk through life. If you're showing up here today to get in your God time so you can go back to your regular life, that's not going to work out for you. I'm not telling you that, that I'm going to be angry or someone else. I'm telling you, your, your life is going to fall apart. And when Jesus returns, he'll say, I don't know who you are. That's just the facts. We can't just live our lives and hope everything works out. We can't do that. We have to be listening to Jesus' voice. When we, as we walk down this path of life, we have to choose what path we're going to take. And no choice, by the way, is a bad choice. We can't just cruise and hope everything's going to work out. It's not. And this is a mistake I made in too much of my life. And I wish I had understood it better. And it basically just comes down to trust. God is who he says he is, or he's not. Jesus is the risen son of God, or he's not. If he is, then you should just do whatever he says without question. And if you don't believe or understand that, then that's, the, I think, the most, well, that is no doubt the most important thing that you need to figure out in your life. You can't leave it for later. Because if you leave it for later, what's the point of doing any of this? Is God who he says he is? Is Jesus Christ the risen son of God? If you don't know the answer to that, you need to find out the answer to that. And make peace with the answer to that. Because a big problem that we've had as individuals is hedging our bet. 
Well, for the most part, I believe that. But if there are times when I don't, well, that means you don't believe it. Because like love is not something you feel, belief is not something you feel either. Belief is a choice you make. Love is a choice you make, that even when I'm not feeling it, I'm going to love my wife. And loving God's the same way. Even when I'm not feeling it, I'm going to choose, even when I think I'm not worth being taken care of, or even when I think God isn't taking care of me, if either one of those is true, I'm just going to choose to believe that God is a loving God who's taking care of me. And nothing in the universe can separate me from him. Let's go to John chapter 14. Then we're going to read pretty close to another part of John that was being read earlier this morning. This is the path we walk determines the life we have now and the eternity we will have. Jesus says, Jesus is leaving. He's saying, look, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Which is something, i got to be honest with you, when things really went south for me, I just wasn't choosing to do. Because believing in the shepherd can be frightening. But either you believe or you are completely separated from God. That's it. It's a choice you make. Believe in God. And also believe in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If this wasn't true, why would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? I will come again, and I will take you. Oh, sorry. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, you will also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How could we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. You know me. If you know me, you know the way. Because I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you know what? Because we want to have it our own way, we want to complicate things, right? When you tell your kids to do something, they start going, suddenly they're a very high-priced lawyer. Well, when you say that my room has to be clean before I can play, what exactly do you mean by that? Can we, now can I have the clothes not folded we, it's simple. Clean your room. But we do that to God too. Okay, so God, when you say that I have to give up everything in my life, what exactly do you mean by that? I mean, I surely I don't have to give up this or I have to give up that, right? Right? Once you start lawyering with God, you are a brother of Satan. Because that's what Satan has done from the very beginning, is lawyering up with God. God's a good father. And if you know 
Jesus, then you know everything you have to do. If you find yourself like, I really don't understand what Jesus wants me to do, it's because you're not listening, probably. You're trying to overcomplicate something. And the reason we try to overcomplicate things is because we don't like what we heard, and so we want to see if there's some other nuanced way to understand it. There's no more nuanced way to understand it. If you listen to the shepherd's voice, if you know Jesus, then you know the way. If you're overcomplicating it, then you're just choosing not to listen. And there's really no nice way to say that. And it's not that, you know, you're bad. I want to be mean to you. No, i just telling you the truth that I've learned that everyone should know is that there isn't other ways. Just listen. Just believe. I remember when I was going through a really bad time in my life, people would go, well, just, just give it to God, Stephen. I'm like, what do you mean give it to God? I honestly didn't know how to give it to God, and I just wanted to punch people who told me to give it to God. Give what to God? I didn't understand, and no one ever explained to me. Give it to God means I don't care how bad things get, I'm going to trust that you're taking care of me. No matter how steep the hill, no matter how high the altitude, no matter how dry the ground, I'm going to trust that you're leading me in the place that I need to go and the way that I need to go. Simple as that. When you see fire all around you, know that Jesus is carrying you through the fire to a place that you need to go to survive. That's overly simplistic, Steve. Yes, it's overly simplistic. It is overly simplistic. John chapter 10. Again, Fred and I were not in cahoots this morning, but here it is. I'm not even sure what cahoots are. So, well, obviously we're not in cahoots. John chapter 10, starting in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I'm telling you, I am the door of the sheep. Everyone who came before me is a thief or a bandit, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He'll be free to come and go, and he'll always find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill, and destroy. I, on the other hand, came that the sheep may have life and have it abundantly. When we talk about the difficult path, we're not talking about a path of suffering. Because one of the Satan's favorite lies is that there is a way to avoid suffering. If you just do what I tell you, everything will be all right. That's a lie from the evil one. If you just do what I tell you, everything will be all right. No, in this world we'll have tribulation. But Christ has overcome the world. So when we talk about the difficult path, we're not talking about a path of suffering. We're talking about a path where the suffering has a purpose. Where we get through this life and we're taken care of. The suffering does not overwhelm us or overcome us. And we have freedom 
because we have freedom from worrying about being devoured by wolves. Freedom from having to worry about when's the next pasture going to come up. Freedom from where are we going to find water. That's real freedom. Jesus doesn't say, and you'll sit there and do what I say. He says, you'll come in and go out, and you'll always find pasture. This is the abundant life. And I can tell you, it is the abundant life. And when it starts to become less abundant, it's when you start going, well, you know what? I really like this place. Can we just stay here for a while? I really like that, and I like that, and I like that. It's not the way it works. You go where the shepherd goes, and you do what the shepherd says. And you can't fall in love with anything anywhere along the road. If you do, you're not worthy of Christ. But this is an abundant life. You know, I talked about liking to hike when I was younger. One day, Linda and I, before we were married, tried to speed walk up to Half Dome. Because we had limited time. That is not recommended. That is a long, difficult walk. And then if you, you may forget this, once you walk up a hill, you also have to walk down the hill. Which is... (laughs) just as strenuous as walking up the hill. But if you do make it up to the top of Half Dome, at the top is a somewhat terrifying looking, like almost kind of ladder thing. It's kind of like cleats into the rock, and you know you kind of pull yourself along. It's very, very steep. But when you get to the top, you can see the valley floor of Yosemite. And if you've seen the valley floor of Yosemite from above, It's absolutely breathtaking. It is. It's beautiful. I'm uh, lucky to have grown up near there where I could uh, go there several times. And this is where Jesus wants to take us. Yes, the way is not straight. Yes, the way goes up and down and it can be difficult. But where Jesus is leading us to is not a place of pain. There's joy along the way And there's a purpose. There are beautiful views from the path that Jesus asks us to walk. And that's a difficult thing to do when we look around us and we see everybody traveling on the same wide road, just talking and laughing and seeming like they're having a good time. But they're not. They're not. There may be good times, But throughout all my life, all the people that seemed like they were having the best time, all the famous, rich people, right? The rock stars. Aren't they? They're always the same ones that end up in rehab. A lot of the rock stars I grew up loving, a lot of them ended up killing themselves. They die young. They end up tortured by... Problems with abuse. And having had my own run-ins, I understand that. Because if you're looking to party down that wide way, yeah, there are times where the party looks cool, but, but it, it, it's a place of filth, crowdedness, lack of safety, all that stuff. The only place we can be is with our shepherd. And you just have to choose to believe that where He's going, you may go also. And that He's gone to prepare a place for you. And that He is the Good Shepherd. 
And if you don't believe any of those things, then you're not going to listen. And if you don't listen, you're going to suffer. And ultimately, Jesus will say, I don't know who you are. You've never been part of this flock before. I've never known you to follow me. I don't recognize you. There's no nice way to put that. I want you to be saved from the suffering that the rest of the people in this world are trying to lead you toward. I want to be saved from that suffering. Jesus, we sang about it this morning, came to earth, chose a lowly birth, was crucified on the cross, all so that he could save us from that, so that he could be our shepherd. He lived a life full of struggle and full of joy, full of peace, full of fellowship with his father. And he chose some very difficult things because he just wants to save you from yourself. He wants to save you from the wolves. Anyone who tells you, you know what, let me tell you how it works. Anyone who says, yeah, I know about all that, all that stuff the Bible's saying, but let me, let me throw some truth bombs at you. Anyone who's leading you toward a place, you have to ask yourself, why are they trying to get me to go that way? Is it because they have my best interests in heart? <laughs> no. All the people on TV, on social media, on YouTube, all the different places in the world, why are they telling you what to do? Why are they saying, look, this is fabulous. I'm having a fabulous time. And then the camera cuts off. Oh, I hate my life. Why are they trying to get you to go a certain direction? Because they love you so much? No, because they're thieves and robbers. They want to take your time and take your money. And Satan wants to take your soul and your, your joy and your salvation. So, listen to the voice of the shepherd so that you can be saved. Now, and more importantly, when he does come back, and he will come back and gather his sheep to him. If you need salvation this morning, you can be baptized. If you have anything else, you want the prayers of the, of the church, if there's something we can do to help, if there's a way that we can love you that we haven't, then you can tell us. If there's something um, that's keeping you from listening to the voice of the shepherd, we understand. I understand. And we're going to have to do this together. We're going to have to be a flock so big and so strong that everybody's following the shepherd. And... When you look to your left and your right, you don't see people out partying on the wide path. You just see other sheep listening to the voice of the master. And that's what we're all here for. Amen? If you need the prayers of the church or you need to be baptized this morning, would you please come forward, talk to one of the elders while we stand and sing this song?